1 Peter 3, starting at verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy woman who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Well, a couple of years ago, I used to have an addiction to diet pop. Uh, I used to drink, drink diet Coke all day long, all the time. And uh, I remember me and Stephanie were talking, and I told her that I liked diet pop because it didn't taste as sweet as a regular pop. And she said, well, that's interesting. I also like diet soda occasionally, but the reason I like it is because it tastes sweeter than regular pop. So he had the same exact thing, and she liked it because she thought it tasted sweeter, and I like it because I thought it tasted less sweet as regular pop. And I think that's kind of how people throughout history have looked at this passage that we're looking at today. As modern people, we might read this passage and think to ourselves, well, this passage is overly harsh in the way it portrays women. It's archaic, outdated. We might think that this represents some kind of pre-Christian thinking that doesn't apply to us today. So we think it's not sweet. Yet when this passage was read by its original hearers, they would have had the complete opposite reaction. They would have said, it's too sweet. When the original readers would have read this, they would have suggested that the view that it presents of woman is, is far too high. So for us, when we read it, we might say, it's a little bit harsh in the way it views women. When they read it, they said it's a little bit too, it views women too, a little bit too highly. And so as we look at this passage, I think there's been two kind of equal and opposite errors that have been made throughout history. When we look at this text, some people have kind of taken the text just at face value without addressing any of the cultural elements involved, and they just kind of read it as if it was written directly to us today. And so then they get kind of off base and kind of get into some kind of sometimes where they justify abuse and that kind of thing from this passage. So some people have done that. And some people have read this passage on the other hand and say, well, there's a lot of cultural involved and, you know, it just seems a little bit outdated, so I don't think it really applies to us today. So two equal and opposite errors, but I think what the scripture does is it critiques our cultural understanding. And what it does is it's going to critique Peter's culture and it's going to also critique our culture's understanding. But if we're going to understand what this means to us and how we can apply this today, there are a lot of cultural issues that we got to understand if we're going to get to the root of, or to the bottom of this passage. So we're going to talk to how he addresses women first, and then we're going to get to men uh, after that. But first of all, we need to realize that this passage is not primarily addressing the normal husband-wife relationship, 
although it, it kind of touches on that, but it's addressing a kind of specific circumstance where a wife would become a believer and her husband would still be an unbeliever. Now, the very fact that this was happening in the ancient world would have been, was thought to be threatening to society. In the ancient world, it was believed that a wife had to have the same friends as her husband, and in turn, that the wife would have to have the same gods as her husband, that the husband, as the head of the household, would choose who the gods were that would be followed, and then the wife would kind of go along with that. The ancient writer Plutarch wrote this, A wife should not acquire her own friends, but should make her husband's friends her own. The gods are the first and most significant friends. For this reason, it is proper for a wife to recognize only those gods who her husband worships and to shut the door to superstitious cults and strange superstitions. Further, if a woman became a Christian and her husband was not a Christian, a number of things could possibly happen in the ancient world. The disorder or the supposed disorder caused by the wife's actions could, uh, it was believed, could bring the judgment of the gods upon the family or on society in general. The husband could lose social status as people might think that he was weak and ineffectual, that he was unable to properly govern his own household. And yet it's clear in Peter's mind that each woman has a right and a duty to follow Jesus above anybody else. Despite what her husband says, despite what her husband believes about God's or the true God, she is to follow after the Lord. That was revolutionary during this time frame. Another commonly held view during this time frame was that men were superior to women in just about every way. Women, it was said, were given to emotion, to, were prone to sin, wickedness, contentiousness. According to one scholar, women could not vote or, vote or hold office, could not take an oath or plead a case in court, could not be the legal guardian even of their own children, and were legally dependent on their father or guardian. Further, it was not uncommon for a much older male to, you know, to marry a much younger female who uh, usually was uneducated as the, the women were usually not educated. It was also taught that it was the husband's responsibility to instruct the wife, that the husband was kind of be t- to be kind of the gateway to the out- outside world. And yet the scriptures are radical in that they teach that men and women are completely equal in Christ. Galatians 3, 27 to 28 says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. We also see in Peter's instructions to husbands or to men, as we'll look at in just a few minutes, that he says that men and women are heirs of the grace of life also implying the equality of men and women. In addition, Peter addresses women as free moral agents, capable of making decisions for themselves, and capable of bringing God glory. These things in the ancient world would have been liberating to women, would have been revolutionary. But then in light of this, this how should, it was thought, how should women behave, and specifically in this context... Say a wife becomes a believer, her husband's not a believer. How should she react? Now Jesus is the one that she's following ultimately. Jesus is the, her true husband. So how should she respond in that marriage relationship? Should she leave her husband? Should she abandon him now that he's not a Christian and she is? Should she just kind of rebel against everything that he says? 
Should he, should, should he see constantly try to pastor him, try to make him become a believer? Rather, Peter calls the woman in this situation to submit to her husband. Now, I hate this word submit or the idea of the submission because of the connotations it's kind of taken in our culture. Now, when I think of the word submit or submission, I think of a wrestler kind of grappling with his opponent. And the two people are just kind of wrestling with one another, trying to get the other person to be in submission. That the two parties are both fighting against each other. And I think that's where kind of people get off base. And I think maybe a word that gets closer to this idea of submission is the word cooperation. Peter says, don't be a thorn in your husband's side. Don't be working against him. Follow his leadership. Listen to him. And then, get, then Peter gives the reasons for this. He says, not only is this, is this pleasing to God, not only is this a picture of the gospel, but it might just win your husband to Christ. Peter gives a play on words when he says, even if they don't obey the word, they will be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. In other words, Peter says, rebelling against your husband will never win him over. The only thing that will win him over is being the best woman, the best wife that you can be. So he calls on wives to submit to their husbands for the sake of the gospel and for God, even if their husbands don't deserve it. Now, of course, this isn't talking about submitting to physical abuse, or, and some people who have said that, are, I think, are, are way off base. So it's not talking about that situation. It's talking about the normal kind of husband-wife relationship. And then, but then Peter goes on and he says, do not let your adorning be external. He says, don't focus on the outside. Now, does that mean it's necessarily wrong to wear jewelry? Some people have taken this passage and say, women should never wear jewelry. They should never braid their hair. Well, if you say that, you should also say women should never wear clothing because clothing is in there too. So that's not what, what Peter is saying. He's saying focus on the inside, not just on the outside. And there's another reason why he might have singled out the jewelry and the braiding of hair and whatnot. Often in the ancient world when uh, jewelry was weared and when uh, braids were weared, it was often associated with seduction. And so imagine a wife becomes a believer, husband's not a believer, and the wife decides she's going to go to church. Now, that day and age there weren't churches with signs on the front. There wasn't a building. They would go to individuals' house and they would break bread and uh, listen to the scriptures read and pray. And so imagine she gets all dialed up, braids her hair, puts jewelry on, and then she goes into the street and then enters somebody's house. What, what are people going to think about that? They're going to think she's doing something illegitimate. But if she leaves her house unadorned, and unadorned, it's clear that she's going to do something important, to do something legitimate. Peter said, but most of all, Peter wants to emphasize that the things that are in the heart are the things which are important. Peter speaks of a gentle and a quiet spirit. The Greek word for gentleness can also be translated meekness. It speaks of a humility that doesn't draw attention to oneself. Quietness may refer to a physical quietness or stillness, but also a stillness or quietness of soul. You're not given to contentiousness or arguing. And Peter says that women who have these characteristics in their souls are precious to God. And these aren't qualities that just apply to women, of course. They apply to all of us. But 
We see that even Jesus, they're even applied to Jesus. Jesus is described, describes himself as being meek. He calls those who are meek or gentle blessed. 1 Timothy 2, chapter 2 says that everyone in the church is called to live quiet lives. So they aren't just directed towards women, but these are the two things that Peter points out. So in this passage, Peter is calling for wives for, to submit to their husbands to live lives of humility and quietness in order to bring glory to God. So as people in the you know, 21st century, how can we apply this passage to life? And specifically, how can women apply this passage to their lives? I think we can take a principle from this passage, I think, that can apply to us, whether we're in this situation directly, maybe we're married and our husband isn't a believer, maybe we're married and our husband is a believer, or maybe even we're not married. I think there's one principle that we can apply to our lives for those of us who are women. And that's that women are to demonstrate the gospel in the way that they follow. Women are to demonstrate the gospel in the way that they follow. Now, in the husband-wife relationship, and in in all relationships, men and and women are completely equal. Yet women are called to follow the leadership of their husbands. Now, note in the text, it doesn't say that women are called to follow the leadership of men. It says of their husband. And that doesn't mean that women are, again, are called to submit themselves to uh, a physical abuse. It doesn't mean that men are allowed to boss their wives around. That's not what this text is saying at all. But just like Jesus took the initiative in coming to earth to love and to die for his bride, the church, the church is to respond in love. Also, husbands are to take the initiative in leading and loving their wives, their bride. And women are to respond by being gracious and following that leadership. Note also that Peter doesn't define exactly what submission looks like. Because if we looked at submission in the ancient world, in the time that Peter was writing, I I guarantee it would look a lot different than a relationship today. I mean, that's just how things are. The culture in that time frame was much different than the culture now. So he doesn't define exactly what that means. That's something that couples have to work out among themselves. So that's for those who are who are in a marriage relationship. But for those who are women who are not married, you also are called to demonstrate the gospel in the way that you follow. But not in the way that you follow your husband, but in the way that you follow Jesus. As you follow Jesus with gentleness and quietness of heart, your life can be pleasing to God. And your life can bring other people to Jesus. They can see the change that God has made in your life. And it will draw people to Jesus. So that's what I think Paul is, or Peter is calling uh, women to, to demonstrate the gospel in the way that they follow. But men, we're not off the hook. In fact, Peter is about to lay the hammer down on us men. Now, as men, we're not always good at relationship type things. There's an old story about a man who accompanied his friend to his home for dinner. Um, and his friend, uh, he entered his house and he asked his wife how, his day, how her day went. She told, he told her that she looked pretty. After they embraced, she served dinner. And this man, he's thanked her for dinner, complimented his wife on the meal. And then the visitor to the home, when, they, when the, just the two men were alone, he said, why do you treat your wife so well? 
The guy says, well, because she deserves it and it makes our marriage happier. So this visitor thought to himself, that's a good idea. I'm going to try to do that with my own wife. I'm going to put these things into principle or into practice. So he goes home. And as he goes home, he went up and gave his wife a big hug. And he said, you look wonderful. For good measure, he added, sweetheart, I'm the luckiest guy in the world to be married to you. But his wife burst into tears. He was really confused, and he asked her, What's, what in the world's the matter? She continued to cry, and she said, What a day. Billy fought at school. The refrigerator quit and spoiled the groceries, and now you've come home drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Now, as guys, we're not always good with relationship things, but Peter is calling for us to live with our wives in an understanding way. The New American Standard translates this verse this way. You husbands, likewise, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman, and grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Now, what's interesting is that this word that's translated here in the ESV, is, or ESV and New American Standard as wives is actually a word that's not traditionally used to refer to a wife, but it's usually used to refer to women in general. So when Peter is talking about uh, giving these instructions to men, he's most likely not just saying how you should treat your wife, but how you should treat women in general, all the women who are in the context of your household and, and in turn all women in general. And Peter says that men should live with women in accordance with knowledge. In the context of this passage, there's one piece of knowledge that men need to keep in mind. And that is, Peter says, that women are the weaker vessel. Now, when we, we know that in many areas of life, women are stronger than men. Just ask my wife. That's true. In terms of understanding situations, in terms of understanding emotions, in terms of organizing things, in terms of caring for others, there's so many different areas of life where women are stronger or better than things that men. So, and we know that Peter is clearly not saying that men are superior to women. But this word for weaker, it almost always has a, a reference to being physically weaker. And so women have, are a weaker vessel or have a weaker shell or a weaker body, so to speak. That's the one area where most of the time men are stronger than women. Of course, not every individual man is stronger than every individual woman, but in general that is the case. And because of that, historically, as well as for other reasons, men have had the ability to take advantage of women, whether that be physically, sexually, economically. When I was growing up, me and my brother used to compete uh, with everything that we did, whether it was a board game or playing sports or whatnot. And uh, when I would win, which was most of the time since I was five years older, I would feel really good about myself. But I mean, I was five years older, and I'm 10 and he's five, and I'm feeling good that I, that I won. It wasn't really a fair fight. And I think Peter is saying something similar here. He says, have the knowledge that your wife, as well as other women in your household, are physically more vulnerable than you are. And as such, you need to treat, treat them graciously. You need to respect them. You need to protect them. 
Then Peter goes on to say, despite the fact that they're a weaker vessel, despite the fact that they're usually weaker physically, they're to be honored as equals. Because they, just like you, are heirs of the grace of life. And so there we have the kind of biblical teaching on gender. That the sexes are completely equal but different. Just like the, the Trinity. The Father is different than the Son who is different than the Holy Spirit. The Son, Jesus, submits to the Father. But who would say that Jesus is inferior to the Father? Jesus in His earthly body was weaker than the Father in that He humbled Himself to become a man. Yet who would say that Jesus is weaker or less equal than the Father? So Peter gives these two guidelines for how men are to treat women. That we should live in an understanding way, recognizing that they're weaker physically, seeking to protect and respect them. That we're to recognize that despite this, they're heirs of the same grace that is ours. So as men, we're to demonstrate the gospel by the way that we lead. Men are to demonstrate the gospel by the way that they lead. Now it's interesting that Peter gives a reason why we're to do this. And in addition to the fact that it's honoring to God, it's in accordance with the gospel, Peter says that we should do this so that our prayers may not be hindered. And here's the reality for us as men. If we do not treat our sisters with respect and with honor, God will not hear our prayers. God will not hear our prayers if we don't treat our sisters with respect and with honor. Proverbs 15, 29 says, The Lord is far from the wicked, but He hears the prayers of the righteous. Just a few verses later in, verse 12, in chapter 12, or verse 12 of this chapter, it says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Man, we cannot treat our sisters with disrespect, with dishonor. We cannot treat our treat women as objects to be exploited. Within the last few months, it's been amazing how many uh, men have been accused of sexual harassment or other sexual misconduct, whether it's uh, movie stars or directors or uh, political figures. Pornography use has become mainstream in society. Uh, an article in the Boston Globe wrote this, not too long ago, pornography was a further profession. profession. Its products created and consumed in the shadows but it has steadily elbowed its way into the limelight with an impact that can be measured not just by the internet-fed ubiquity of pornography itself, but by the way aspects of the porn sensibility now inform movies, music videos, fashion, magazines, and celebrity culture. As men and as believers in Christ, we must protect our brothers and sisters in Christ. We must respect them. We must cherish them. And if we don't do that, then God is not going to hear us when we call on Him. So Peter says... Treat women with respect so that your prayers may not be hindered. So women are to demonstrate the gospel in the way that they follow. Men are to demonstrate the gospel in the way that they lead. Now for those of us who are married, we might have the tendency to see this as a perfect message for our spouse. On your way home, honey, did you hear the message? It was just for you. Now the text doesn't tell us to demand that our spouse do this or that. It doesn't tell men to demand that your wife submit to you. Demand that your wife respect you. It doesn't tell women, demand that your husband treats you with honor, with respect. It only tells us to control what we can control ourselves. In their book, 
entitled Mistakes Were Made But Not By Me, social psychologist Carol Tarabras and Elliot Aronson describe how a fixation on our own righteousness can choke out the life of love. They write, the vast majority of couples who drift apart do so slowly over time in a snowballing pattern of blame and self-justification. Each partner focuses on what the other one is doing wrong while justifying his or her own preferences, attitudes, and ways of doing things. From our standpoint, therefore, misunderstandings, conflicts, personality differences, and even angry quarrels are not the assassins of love. Self-justification is. So whether we're men or whether we're women, we need to look at this passage and say, how does this apply to me? How am I falling short in this regard? Women were to demonstrate the gospel in the way that they follow. Men are to demonstrate the gospel in the way that they lead. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you uh, for the way that you've fashioned us together as male and female. And we thank you that you critique our culture's understanding. We thank you that you critique the culture of the Peter was writing to, declaring that men and women are equal in Christ. God, I pray that you critique our own culture, that we would understand this passage that relates to us, that as those of us who are women, that they would live the gospel in the way that they follow. Those of us who are men, I pray that we would live the gospel in the way that we lead, that we would treat our sisters with honor and with respect, that we would do the utmost to cherish them and, and give them the honor that they're due. God, we thank you that ultimately the reason that we can do these things is because you first loved us, that you've demonstrated your love for us, that you've poured and shed abroad your, your love in our hearts, and because of that we can love those around us. God, we pray that through your Holy Spirit you change our hearts so that we can do that. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.